This show is a part of the podcast network of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, an international community of philosophers and seekers dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever they may be found. To find out more, go to thewalledgarden.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Searching with Seneca. So today we are focusing on letter number 34, on a promising pupil. Now this is a very, very short letter. It's only about a page long, if that. And it's one of those letters that you might think because of its length, it's going to be kind of you might say a flyover letter, you know, it's it's the letter that uh, you can probably pass over, no worries, and you're not going to miss too much. But that's certainly not what this letter is. It's quite a deep letter and gives us some really profound lessons. And it can also give us a really great insight, I believe, into the way that Seneca was approaching writing these letters, the kind of frame of mind that he was in, and what he was discovering about himself, I would say. Now, before I go too much further, I just want to say a quick apology to you because I know that there is a little buzzing sound in the back of this recording. And uh, this is something that I've found is happening a little bit more frequently lately. Uh, and it gets on my recordings. I'm trying to figure out exactly what it is. I'm doing everything that I can to figure it out. But the show must go on. We've got to keep on figuring out these letters. So I apologize if it's really annoying, but uh, nonetheless, let's dive back in. So uh, apart from that little hiatus, uh, I guess I just want to say that, you know, we've often talked about how it seems as though Seneca's writings, uh, the evidence points toward the fact that he's talking to his soul. He's having a conversation with his soul, not necessarily another person in another part of the world, sending letters back and forth. Uh, There's many reasons why we might think that, but certainly in this letter, it really gives me the impression that this is a point where Seneca is coming and saying, you know what, I'm seeing a lot of promise, a lot of uh, progress being made by the soul uh, as he's, you know, communing with the soul in his letters, and he's starting to see that he's making a lot of headway, and and this is him recognizing uh, the point that he is at. And it might not make sense now, but we're going to dive into the letters, and we'll read it, and perhaps when we read this, uh, you might come a little bit over to uh, my conspiratorial thinking on this matter. Uh, but let's dive in, yeah? So, he says the following, quote, I grow in spirit and leap for joy and shake off my years and my blood runs warm again whenever I understand, from your actions and your letters, how far you have outdone yourself. For as to the ordinary man, you left him in the rear long ago. If the farmer is pleased when his tree develops so that it bears fruit, if the shepherd takes pleasure in the increase of his flocks, if every man regards his pupil as though he discerned in him his own early manhood, what then do you think are the feelings of those who have trained a mind and moulded a young idea when they see it suddenly grown to maturity? 
end quote. All right, so I'm going to put out a warning here, right? Because uh, I'm going to the, follow the advice of Sharon LaBelle. And if she were right next to me right now, I know that she would say, Simon, follow your deepest intuitions and explore every half-baked idea that is in your mind uh, and see what comes of it, right? Let's So let's have a little bit of fun here. I'm going to pick apart what we've just read, and that's not the whole letter, but I'm going to pick it apart uh, with a whole bunch of half-baked ideas, uh, and I want to know what you guys think of this. So I'm going to draw upon two major reference points uh, that are kind of close to me. One is uh, the similarities that I see between Christianity and Stoicism. You know, I was raised as a Mormon, so I have that kind of background uh, where, I, you know, a lot of the stuff that Seneca says really pulls up these deep learnings that I had as a child, uh, you know, back up to the surface, you know. So it's it's a strange experience to have that happen. But then uh, on top of that, you know, as an artist, I feel like I have a certain insight into uh, the way that Seneca approaches writing these letters that perhaps you wouldn't get from somebody who is perhaps a hardcore academic, right? And it's because the artist's mind is, is just different from the mind who wants to analyze these letters in a very uh, hyper-technical way. Uh, and, and so, you know, there is technicality to Seneca's letters, but there's also a real artistic flair where he's exploring in a big way. Okay, so first thing, this, the first line there, let's take a think of it, let's, let's have a think about this, right? So certainly one of the goals of Christianity is to awaken its followers to, uh, to the soul, you know, to uh, almost to be born again into the soul, right? And trust me, I'm not preaching to you here, and I'm not trying to convert you into anything, but that's certainly an idea. There's a whole church named after it, the born-again Christians, right? To to be born again into a new way, a new life, you know, a new experience, uh, and to recognize the soul that was always there, uh, the God that was always there, that perhaps, but perhaps not recognized fully, Uh and, you know, certainly Seneca is having an experience like this. And I'm not saying that he was like a proto-Christian, even though some would certainly say that he was. Uh, you can have this experience in Stoicism. I certainly have had this experience in Stoicism of being uh, reawoken to uh, to the the soul that, uh, that I, I, I had always been there, but it was perhaps not recognized in its, its totality. Not that I ever can recognize it in its totality. Nonetheless, okay, I'm going to move on. So <laughs> let's read with that in our minds, these first few lines again. I grow in spirit and leap for joy and shake off my years and my blood runs warm again. Whenever I understand from your actions and your letters, how far you have outdone yourself. For as, for as to the ordinary man, you have left him in the rear long ago. Okay, so Seneca is having an experience of finding youth again, finding vitality again, finding uh, true joy again. You know, this is such a, a deep experience for Seneca where he is, he is saying, like, I am seeing in a new way. I'm experiencing things in a new way. I'm jumping for joy, you know. He's found something. He's latched onto something. There's something here. You know, that's the experience that it seems to me that Seneca is having. It's beautiful, beautiful experience. And again, you know, this is, it's, it's a deep, deep 
experience that Seneca is having of, 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 of stumbling upon a world of real meaning, you know, and, and real experience of the divine. And we have to keep on reading to draw some more connections here, because he says, If the farmer is pleased when his tree develops so that it bears fruit, if the shepherd takes pleasure in the increase of his flocks, if every man regards his pupil as though he discerned in him his own early manhood, what then do you think are the feelings of those who have trained a mind and moulded a young idea when they see it suddenly grown to maturity? All right, time for some more half-baked ideas. So he's clearly using two analogies that are frequently used in Christianity in the Bible. He's using the analogy of the tree that grows to maturity and grows and, and, and bears good fruit, right? He's also using the analogy of the shepherd whose flock increases, right? These are two analogies that I'm sure would have been common around that time, of course, right? But they certainly mean something. He's pointing towards something here. And that's the beauty of Seneca's writing is that he brings us in on the adventure of, uh, of his mind, of his soul, by giving us these beautiful analogies that can help us to get a picture, right? A picture of exactly what he's going through, the, the kind of experience he's having. And so let's take a, mo- a look at, you know, this analogy of the tree for a moment, you know, because obviously there's that, there's that parable that Christ gives about uh, the mustard seed. The faith is like a mustard seed, you know, the, the tiniest little seed, but then grows up into a beautiful tree in the garden, right? Uh, and so faith he likens unto the mustard seed. Faith in uh, perhaps the 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 journey of rediscovering the soul, rediscovering God, right? Uh, letting go and allowing that process to happen, and 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 coming into a communion uh, with the divine, right? And I know that. Listen, I. Uh, this is all, as I said, half-baked, you know, I'm not a theologian yet, and um, and so this is just explorations of my own mind at this point. Uh, but there's an interesting connection that we can draw between that idea of, you know, faith being the mustard seed, and, and, and you're going on this spiritual path here, because Seneca says at the end of that line, he says, what then do you think are the feelings of those who have trained a mind and molded a young idea when they see it suddenly grown to maturity. You know, it's interesting that he he says a young idea, you know, mold, trained a mind, you know, not trained a young student, trained a mind, right? And molded a young idea, you know, not a young student, molded a young idea, an idea or a principle of thought, you know, as an artist, I understand the value of, of really paying attention to those small little promptings that we have towards a certain direction or, you know, in the spiritual path, certainly it is that, that, that deep, deep thought of perhaps, you know, Sharon would say, Poe, not yes, not no, but there is an idea here and we sit with it. You know, you latch onto that little prompting and you and you nurture it. And what it is like, it's like a little seed that if you nurture that thought, if you nurture that experience, can grow into a beautiful flourishing tree. And I know I'm going out you know, way out here. Okay. So I don't want to get too woo woo. I don't want, although that train may have already passed us. Uh, But nonetheless, the idea being that uh, those who are on the spiritual path, it always starts with a a seed. It always starts with a little idea, a little prompting uh, towards 
uh, a deeper experience with reality and a communion with the divine. And as that idea is nourished, it certainly does grow. And there's one more thing that I want to point out in this, this part here as well, because he does say, if every man regards his pupil as though he discerned in him his own early manhood, all right, so I'm going to drop three thoughts here for you that uh, might help us and might help us to understand why he's talking about seeing in this pupil uh, his own early manhood. Number one, just something to think about. Uh, Carl Jung believed that one of the true signs of uh, maturity uh, is a moment or it's a stage in our maturation is is the moment when we rediscover the youth that we left behind right um when we were being kind of enculturated when uh, when we had to become more serious and a part of our culture uh, but we rediscover that youth later on you know that's certainly part of the path uh, okay there's actually four ideas because then we have to think about okay in Christianity what does Christ say he says you have to become like a child again to see the sorts of things that he's trying to teach right you have to find that youth again then we come back to this letter and we know that uh, Seneca has found his youth again here, right? He's, he's certainly at that stage where he is experiencing uh, the bubbling up of that, that, that you know, the, the, the fountain of youth, right, you might say, when he's experiencing this progress in his own spiritual journey. And the very last thing that I'll say about this is it's interesting to note, and I, I repeat, it is just interesting to note that Lucilius actually is the little version of Lucius, right? It's, it's almost like the younger version of Lucius, right? So Lucius and Lucilius both mean the same thing. They both mean light, right? And so when Seneca is writing to Lucilius, who some people believe is a real person, some people don't, is he not just writing to his younger self? Perhaps taken from this letter here, maybe he is searching for that fountain of youth, the soul, rejuvenation, new life, new experience, reawakening into the world in a new way of being. Uh, again, all of this half-baked. Maybe one day it'll come out of the oven, maybe. Who knows? But uh, I'm having so much fun exploring it anyway. I feel like a conspiracy theorist of the uh, the classical age. But anyway, I'm going to leave that behind. We're going to keep on reading here because we're already 14 minutes in and we've only gone through a couple of verses. So, nonetheless, Seneca goes on to say, quote, I claim you for myself. You are my handiwork. When I saw your abilities, I laid my hand upon you. I exhorted you. I applied the goad and did not permit you to march lazily, but roused you continually. And now I do the same. But by this time, I am cheering on one who is in the race, and so in turn cheers me on. End quote. All right, so let's take a look at this. You know, I claim you for myself. You are my handiwork. When I saw your abilities, I laid hand upon you, right? I exhorted you. So, you know, let's let's have a think about the adventure that Seneca has been going on. What's he always saying? Seek the goods of the soul. Seek the goods of the soul. Virtue, wisdom. As young students of Stoicism, we follow that path, right? We follow the path of virtue and 
wisdom, right? These are the goods of the soul, right? Seneca's been following this path, and we know from the past couple of letters that he's talking about, you know, struggling up that hill, exerting yourself, right? Putting in the effort. Now, you'll remember that there's that idea uh, that virtue is a thing that, you know, once we practice it and practice it and practice it like anything else, you know, virtue is a practice, like everything else, once we have practiced it to such a degree, it becomes uh, a, a part of us, right? It's, and and w- same with wisdom. It's like embodied wisdom, practical wisdom that is a part of you. And we'll, we'll get to that later on because he mentions that sort of stuff later on in the letter. But Seneca has been on that adventure of uh, uh, exerting himself and pushing himself and and seeking the goods of the soul. And now you get the picture that he's reached a point where not only is he pushing himself, right, pushing the soul to achieve that kind of virtue, to achieve that kind of way of being, uh, now it is cheering him on as well with this new life, this new experience, this uh, renewed vitality, right? And so he's having this great experience here of, of coming into a new way of being. It's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. And we too are coming into a new way of being by experiencing his writing, his passion through his letters. Man, I haven't talked this passionately on the podcast for a while. You know, I'm, I'm coming into a new way of being through uh, reading this letter. It's just, it's, it's wonderful writing and the experience is there, which makes it all the more beautiful. Anyway, he goes on to say, quote, What else do you want from me then, you ask? The will is still mine. Well, the will in this case is almost everything, and not merely the half, as in the proverb, a task once begun is half done. It is more than half, for the matter of which we speak is determined by the soul. Hence, it is that the larger part of goodness is the will to become good. End quote. So these lines, man, you know, I had to think about these for a long time, and I have a lot more thinking to do about these lines, uh, you know, but nonetheless, as you know, um, that's not going to stop me from giving you my opinion about what they might potentially point to. Uh, it's just that every, every time I read Seneca, I'm reminded of uh, how much farther I have to go in my own discovery of Stoicism and the, the ancient form of Stoicism and... Uh, what they thought about matters of the soul and fate and and God and all these sorts of things and um, (laughs) all of these sorts of things, God, fate, the soul, these sorts of things. Uh, But let me me throw out some thoughts here and uh, I'd love to hear your opinion as well. If any of you have opinions on this episode, just please message me, email me, whatever. So, He's having this conversation, right? You know, what else do you want from me then, you ask? Yeah, so he's had this awakening experience, youth again, vitality. What, what else do you want from me? The will is still mine. You know, you could say, the soul says. Well, the will is, in this case, almost everything and not merely the half as in the proverb, a task once begun is, a half, is half done. Now, there's a note about that section there from Richard Montgomery. 
The proverb may apply to tasks which a man performs with his hands, but it is an understatement when applied to the tasks of the soul. The soul is much bigger. There's, there's a much grander thing going on there. And so it's not merely that he has begun on this path and, and then it's half done. It's, there's something much deeper happening. And he, he says here, it is more than half. For the matter of which we speak is determined by the soul. Determined by the soul. Determined, you know, the soul is saying the will is still mine. You know, the soul possesses the will, not, not you. Uh, you know, and then, and then, or, or perhaps whatever you think you are, right? Perhaps the persona, uh, the the person who has not yet come to know that part of themselves that is the mover behind what you think you are. Uh, hence, it is Seneca says the larger part of goodness is the will to become good. So it's interesting. Um, I, I recently saw a video from a very interesting person on YouTube. His name is uh, Kenneth Wheeler. Very interesting person. Uh, absolute nutcase in in the best possible way. In the I, I mean that with the the highest respect. I love people like Kenneth Wheeler. He's somebody who explores deep, deep metaphysics, and he's such a character. Anyway, nonetheless, uh, the point being that in this video, he was exploring this idea, exploring, he was basically just telling you, here's how it is, uh, you can take it or leave it, but he was making a metaphysical argument for why good will always triumph over evil. Uh, and that's about as far as I'm going to go right now, other than to say go go if you want it, if you want an interesting video to watch that you might have to watch 10, 20 times before you may begin to understand it, go check out Kenneth Wheeler at, at why good triumphs over evil, the, the metaphysics of that. But it's it's interesting, you know, my, my intuitions about what, what Seneca is saying here, and again, you know, I have much more explorations to do with this, so I'm just going to leave these thoughts here with you, and perhaps, uh, you know, don't just take everything that I say in this episode with a grain of salt, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, it seems like Seneca is coming to a point where he's realizing that the soul has been moving him all this time, you know. Uh, the soul has determined this. The will belongs to the soul. It's been moving him, and... Uh, and and thus he's making this argument that the greater part of goodness, like he says here, is the will to become good. So, you know, the greater part of the, the goods of the soul, you know, the greater part of the soul is is moving us in the direction of good. And if we if we perhaps let go and allow that process to happen, it will mold us into something more perfected just by its own will. That, that That's my intuitions. But again, I, I could sit with this for a lot longer and I probably will. So take that with a grain of salt. Nonetheless, okay, let's keep on going. So he says, quote, You know what I mean by a good man? One who is complete, finished, 
whom no constraint or need can render bad. I see such a person in you. If only you go steadily on and bend to your task and see to it that all your actions and words harmonize and correspond with each other and are stamped in the same mold. If a man's acts are out of harmony, his soul is crooked. Farewell. End quote. All right, so let's pull a whole bunch of Seneca's ideas in together here, see if we can get the connections going and see what he is trying to teach us here or what he's exploring in these these few lines here. So what what does he mean by a good man? You know, he, he says, one who is complete, finished, uh, whom no constraint or need can render bad, right? So he's, he's talking about the sage, right? The wise man, the person who has finally arrived at that destination of eudaimonia, perfected being, ultimate being, right? Uh, and, and, you know, man, this was a time when people were wrestling with what is that destination of the ultimate person. For the Christians, that was Christ. It's the person who was ultimate, you know, pure, clean, aligned, enlightened, you know, uh, reached the destination, you know, was was completely divine as a human being. Uh, that's not all that, that Christ was, but I, I don't understand enough yet, you know, to, to make more claims on that. But he's talking about the sage here, the, the ultimate person. What is the good man? It's the person who has finished complete. Uh, and I, I find it very interesting because he's mentioned this a lot, you know, whom no constraint or need can render bad. There's an element to the sage that is so perfect that nothing, you know, can can make them bad. Uh, it's it's just interesting. Okay. And, and so he, he then goes on to say, I see such a person in you, If only you go steadily on and bend to your task and see to it that all your actions and words harmonize and correspond with each other and are stamped in the same mold. Okay, so this is very interesting, right? So it seems to me like Seneca is kind of saying, look, if he's talking to Lucilius, a person, then he's saying, hey, Lucilius, I see that you could become that there's something there. You could become that. I'm seeing the progress that you're making. This very promising name of the letter, a promising pupil. But if he's speaking to his soul and he's saying, Hey, I see this in the part of me that is uh, flourishing right now. That is, is uh, allowing me to have this new life, this uh, experience, this new experience. Perhaps what he's saying to himself is, Hey, I see that this could be the path. I could attain this, you know. It Seneca is really going for it. You know, he's really going for this path of eudaimonia, of enlightenment, of of the the stoic path towards uh, ultimate being, right? And and that's interesting, right? He sees that in in himself or in Lucilius, depending on who on 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 what you are, on what you believe. But the way that you get there, this is very important is your words and your actions must harmonize and correspond with each other, right? So the point where you reach that completion is when at all times your words and your actions are the same, right? 
that and he says that uh, if a man's acts are out of harmony, his soul is crooked. So the opposite of crooked being straight, you might think aligned, right? Uh, we are seeking this kind of alignment where uh, all parts of us are moving in the same direction on that path of virtue, on that path uh, of wisdom, right? All parts moving in the same direction. Let's think about that for a moment. So we draw these ideas back in together. He's talking about how the soul is this kind of mover. It's the will. It's our spark of divinity that allows us to connect, to understand the logos, right? The, the reasoned patterns of uh, the cosmos, the providential whole. So the soul is that part of us that is doing the, I guess, the seeing, the hearing, the speaking. Uh, uh, but nonetheless, there is always that pesky little thing, the body, what does Seneca always tell us to despise? The body, despise the body, right? You know, and and so there's this element here of, okay, well, the body must be kept in check lest it run amok throughout our entire lives, right? And the way it is kept in check is we struggle, right? We struggle to keep it in check and to bring it into alignment with the goods of the soul, the desires of the soul, which is after that that true goodness, that that deep experience of 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 divinity, of of, of providence, of of a life of wisdom and virtue, right? And so it's the bringing together of those two things, the bringing together of the body and the soul uh, into alignment where our actions match our words. Action in the physical world, right? Words, the spirit, the breath, you know, the reasoning capacity. Interesting. There's there's so many ideas to pull together here, and uh, I just want to one more time in this episode say take everything that I'm saying here with a grain of salt because I'm having so much fun trying to explore these ideas. And if you guys get to come along on that adventure and explore them with me and uh, listen in as I kind of think about these things and try to uh, put the pieces together all the better in my view, as long as everything that I say here is taken with a grain of salt. And if there's something that you have to say, if, if you feel like I'm getting something particularly wrong, uh, or if you feel like that I'm, I'm on the right track with a few certain things, let me know. I'm, I'm, I'm open to, uh, any and all feedback. Uh, yeah. So that's the episode. It's, you know, a small letter, but I mean, look, this has been one of the longest episodes that I've done so far because there's just so much in here. And I, I, I don't want to make the mistake of reading something into these letters that just isn't there. But again, having a great time exploring these ideas, seeing what kind of connections I can draw and trying to experience the philosophy of Seneca, which certainly so far is, you know, completely uh, in agreement with the Stoic philosophy as far as I understand it to the extent that I understand it properly. But uh, 
yeah, what an adventure we're going on. This is so much fun. Uh, I hope that you've uh, taken a lot out of this episode. Thank you for putting up with my madness and uh, I'll talk to you in the next episode.